Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Yes, we do. I'm Sarah D. Bunting. I'm here with my co-host, Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. Hello. And this, oh, the Brit is back. <laughs> and this, in case you were wondering, is Mark and Sarah talk about songs. This is episode 63. I am feeling the luckiest to be back and recording again after a week off in which I celebrated America's birthday and my linen slash silk anniversary to my lovely husband, Dan Patrick Brady. Uh, Mark. Tell us what we're listening to today and why. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that I hope that you treat every day like a linen and silk day in your marriage. And I, tr- and I truly believe that you do from what I've seen. <laughs> yeah, and not necessarily in the kinky way. But if we did, I would count on your lack of judgment and Listen, your support. There would be no judgment. There are many ways that silk can be incorporated into one's life elegantly and grandly. But that's for another time. That's for Mark and Sarah talk about fabrics. Mastaff. <laughs> yes. But today's song, as you said, is The Luckiest by Ben Folds. And that is not to be confused with Ben Folds 5, which is the group that he rose to fame in. No, this is from a solo project. And Sarah and I, a few weeks ago, went to see Jason Isbell in concert, uh, which you may recall, Sarah. Yeah, yes, I do. <laughs> Very well. And I know where this story is going. Well, and we started having a conversation while we were there about times that we had been to concerts where people just sat the F down and listened to the music and how nice that was. And that got us onto a whole thing about when we had both independently seen Rufus Wainwright and Ben Folds playing together, and then that led us to a conversation about Ben Folds, and that led us to this particular song, which I think is infinitely worth discussing. But before we really get into the conversation, Sarah, if it's okay with you, unless you have any preamble comments, I'd love to just roll the clip. Uh, I do have one preamble comment, which is that we, during this... um isbel concert which was fantastic not least amanda isbel's delightful sparkly silver pumps that she wore to play the fiddle he he had this song called what is it called vampires if we were vampires that both mark and i uh, granted we had visited the bar at the historic beacon theater several times by this point in the concert. <laughs> it's true more than in fact to the point where the last time we were there i paid for and then promptly left my drink at the counter and you were like mark did you want this and i was like okay yes <laughs> <laughs> i do think it was not that necessarily entirely but mostly the power of the song in which he talks about if they were uh if this you know addressed loved one and he were vampires then it wouldn't be so meaningful like that's why he holds her hand tightly is because they don't have all the days and nights in the world they yes one day i'll be gone and one day you'll be gone this song was so affecting that after a two-hour trip home because i live at the end of the world in bay ridge brooklyn i got off the train came into my house and basically like woke my husband up off the couch and was like let me narrate this whole song for you and sing parts of it 
and tell you how much I love you. Also, I'm drunk and dehydrated, but you're the best. And then I made him listen to the song. I mean, it's quite something, this song. But I think that also yes. put us in mind of the song that we're about to discuss, the Ben Fold song, which is um, guaranteed to bring me to tears pretty much every time. There is a backstory to that as well, but we'll get into all of that. Well, now I have to do preamble to the preamble, post-amble okay. to the pre- because I did essentially the same thing with the Jason Isbell song. I came home and I... Andrew asked how the concert was, and I was like, yeah, 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 sit down. We have to talk about this song and the way that it reminds me that our relationship matters so much to me. And it really is that idea in the Jason Isbell song and in the song we're about to hear that it's a love song that is aware of mortality. So it's not a falling in love song. It's an I am in love song and have been in love song. And I turned to you, Sarah, at the end of the performance of the Isbell concert, and I said, I don't think I would be this moved if I weren't married, because there's just something else that happens to love once it's been sustained. And that, I think, with no further ado, is table setting. Let's roll that clip. What if I'd been born 50 years before you in a house on a street where you lived Maybe I'd be outside as you passed on your bike Would I know Um, okay, I am, like, audibly crying, but fuck it. Who cares? This is the point of music. I am emotional. Uh, I'm going to tell a little funny story and then kick it over to you. Uh, there is a picture taken from my brother and sister-in-law's wedding. They are celebrating their anniversary. As you hear this, it will be this coming Sunday. They will have been married 11 years. It was a fantastic wedding, tied for the second best one. I've ever been to tied with yours mark <laughs> thank First you is, is of course my own they i mean it was like a pretty formal traditional wedding but like they came out like after all the pictures are done and everything they came out into the um reception venue to the benny hill theme song so mm -hmm. like whatever bunting's not super formal people and you know there's like eating and drinking and general mayhem and then it's time for the first dance and this was their first dance and like yeah it's sort of like a touching your younger sibling is getting married and your whole family is together and all of your friends and stuff like that but like i mean i don't know like watching them 
dance to this song and there's a picture taken of me with my like nylon napkin over my face because I just like the the chords of this song started and I was like <laughs> um credit to the makeup guy that mascara did not move but man I was just completely overcome and Partly because my brother and I have this sort of history with bedfolds, loving bedfolds, seeing bedfolds in concert, and talking about how this song and uh, Gracie and Jesus Land, I guess, is sort of an example of that. How there is a very like direct sentiment that somehow is not sentimental and mm -hmm. cheesy. And we have spent like many hours just in the car being like, how does he do that? It should be, it should be cheesy and bathetic and maudlin. And especially with the piano sometimes that you're just like, this should be too much, but it's so exact. It um, literally strikes a chord somehow. And I, I still am not sure how he does it, but I'm so glad he does. He's absolutely one of my favorites. Um, and now while I clean off the little tear mist that always forms when I get weepy with my glasses on, Mark, t tell us some thoughts of yours. Oh my god, well, I... I just am really overcome. It's like I've heard this song so many times, but it is so specifically honest. It's just, it, it really captures something that I just feel is really true about being in love with someone for a long time and the way that it changes you and there's just something about the idea that um i'm sorry don't be sorry there's just something about the idea of the verse that i asked us to clip today where you hope against hope that if you were to see this person in a strange context that you would still know them uh-huh and the feeling of being seen and to recognize that person and the feeling that I feel so strongly about my own husband that what we have together to me feels so deeply religious almost, like the spiritual connection that I feel with him that has rearranged my molecules. And this, the idea that if I had been born 50 years before him, it would be so tragic in a way because I wouldn't know him. But if I was on his street and he rode by on his bike, would I see him in a wide sea of eyes? Would his eyes be the ones that would make sense to me? And I, I don't, I, I, I have no actual critical language for why I'm like crying right now for this song. But it's just, <laughs> so I also want to talk about the way that I first heard this song, which also has a lot to do with my connection to it. Uh, my dear friend, Mariah, uh, who is just wonderful is a fantastic actress and singer and she did a concert in new york gosh it's been eight or nine years ago now and she performed this song at the concert and i had never heard this song before so the first time that i heard it was in mariah's iteration and mariah right. is unquestionably one of the most devastating performers of song that I have ever encountered. And when I say devastating, I mean she finds the emotional core of a song with such subtlety and grace, and she just makes you feel it in a way that is undeniable. And so 
the first time I'd ever heard this song was through her voice. Lost my mind about it, of course. And then, Sarah, you might remember that the night before uh, my wedding to Andrew, we had a wedding concert. I do, and, which and my uh, brother was the of technical AV advisor upon. Your brother made the video, in fact, of yes, that wedding did. concert. Thanks, Dave Bunting. Um, but Mariah and her husband, Matt, uh, who accompanied her on guitar, performed this song the night before our wedding. And, oh God, it was just so special. And uh, I can remember just sitting in the audience and feeling so lucky, speaking of luck, that... Uh, that this friend of mine who's so incredible was singing this song uh, for me and my husband. And, you know, that comes back to a thing I find so touching about the song. It's the humility of calling it the luckiest. That the, the willingness to just look at this person or these people, this love in your life, and to just to just feel humbled before it and to just say, I am the luckiest person. And yes, relationships require work and we show up and we put our effort in. And yes, love is large and passionate sometimes, but just the quietness of saying how lucky you feel, um, it well, just really how gets much, at like, it. How much fate is involved too. Like, yes. What it makes me think of now, um, you know, I got married pretty late. I was 40. Um, and my husband and I met on OkCupid, okay holla. But he actually was like one year outside of my pretty randomly selected age parameters, which is like <laughs> sent me a message and was like, young lady, he literally calls everyone this, including like our moms who are 74 and 85 respectively. Uh, your profile is hilarious. And, you know, I know I fall outside your your uh, strictures there, but I just wanted you to know that I laughed a lot and I took a break from doing my taxes and read your profile and he, you know, was cute. So I wrote back. Um, but then it turned out like we had been sort of living near each other on and off for a while, but I like, I never saw this person before in my life. Um, and it's like, where, like, how did we manage to do this? Like, how did this manage to happen? But then also, like, I adore him. He's like the best thing that ever happened to me, basically. And it's like, where were you? Like, when he finally got here, it felt like I had known him forever mm. and that he was always supposed to show up. Mm. But it was like, it, you know, the odds were kind of against it, but then obviously the odds were completely for it at the same time and my thought always when we first got together and it was clear that we were going to be you know together barring like a bus accident knock wood that won't happen for a while that it was like where why couldn't you have come sooner but that's that's not the way that's not the plan the universe had and the plan the universe had was pretty good and I was also thinking, certainly listening to that Jason Isbell song, like, I can't think of anyone I would have rather basically burst into drunk tears over a song at a concert with than you, Mark. Oh my God, Sarah, Mark, I was so grateful that you were sitting next to me for that. I know. Well, and 
Honestly, and there was just a moment that we like sniffled at the same time, and I was like, "Phew!" Like, <laughs> and we did the like, I like while while both looking at the stage. I I recall I just like sort of grabbed you. <laughs> we were just like, "Okay, here we are. This is happening." I and, like in a wide sea of armrests. Let's share this one. And... We're gonna press pause on Ben Folds eloquent heartbreak and look at heartbreak of a more of a more economic variety and that's because it's time for this week's pop chart astrology reading and for those of you who don't remember that is when i predict a listener's entire destiny of success based on the song that was number one the day that they were born and today's reading goes out to yena who was born on november 11th 1966 and that means the song that was number one when she was born was Poor Side of Town by Johnny Rivers. And this is a ballad about a man who is mad because the woman he loves only wants him after her richy rich boyfriend kicks him to the curb. So let's listen to how his heartbreak sounds. That rich guy you've been seeing must have put you down. So welcome back, baby, to the poor side of town. Gaina, there's quite a lot of interesting information about this song that I want to share with you. Uh, first, it is Johnny Rivers' biggest hit. Uh, he is well known for songs like Secret Agent Man. He is the only artist to have a top 10 hit with the song The Tracks of My Tears, which is crazy if you think about it. And Rockin' Pneumonia and the Boogie Woogie Flu is one of his hits. But when he slightly altered his musical style away from up-tempo rockabilly R&B, and instead went for this more straight-ahead grandiose balladry, he had his biggest hit, his only number one song. It's also important to note that this is the only one of his hits that he wrote himself. He co-wrote it with super producer Bob Adler, who also uh, was, I'm sorry, super producer Lou Adler, who was also behind uh, Carol Carol King's album Tapestry. He produced that and lots of the Mamas and the Papas hits. So what can we take from that? What lesson can we glean for you? Well, Yana, I would say this. Uh, obviously, Johnny Rivers had a lot of success with his primary musical style, which suggests to me that either personally or professionally, you have found some sort of lane for yourself, something that feels good, something that feels right, and it's working for you. And just as Johnny Rivers returned to his more traditional type of music after he had a hit with this song, I don't see any reason that you shouldn't continue down the lane that's working for you. But if you feel the urge to strike out for a little while, to do something a little different, if there's some element of your personal or professional life that you feel like you want to shake up just for a moment, just because you want to put your stamp on things or try something idiosyncratic, go right ahead and do it. It's probably going to work. Johnny Rivers wrote for himself for once he changed his musical style and it gave him his biggest hit and also be on the lookout for the person in your life who might be able to guide you or help you as you strike out because lou adler was there and he was a big instrument in this song success so again what it says to me is have the courage of your convictions try this new thing branch out try out get a team of people around you to help you and then know that you can always go back to the thing that was working before and maybe be a little bit richer because of it. 
Uh, Yena, I hope that reading uh, changes your day in some way. And I want our listeners to know that Yena is receiving this reading as part of a package of on-request content that she will be receiving because she is a monthly donor to our Patreon account. Yes, you too can get original content created just for you if you make a monthly contribution at patreon.com slash mastis. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash mastis. And uh, what's that I hear? I think it's a college graduate softly weeping. So let's go back to Ben Folds. If I may, not to get overly personal, and I will, I can just remember the tone of your voice when you were talking about Dan in the early days of your relationship, and the it just I could just hear in your voice just the 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 cadence that you were using to talk about him that something was happening. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And I can remember so clearly also at your wedding, uh, standing outside, and we all had sparklers at one point. Uh huh. And that that image is of like you guys surrounded in light that the rest of us were holding is like the image I think of for your marriage. Like you let us be lucky enough to shed a little light onto this love that you have. And oh shit, it was amazing. Yeah. So that was really that was really something. Like I think that both of our weddings were about like having the whole congregation sort of stand for. The wedding like yes. figuratively because that's the congregation's job that's why you have that's why you invite people yes um that the marriage sort of not belongs to its community but sort of does like it, it does sometimes take a village to to make sure that everything you know goes right for a, a family well, whatever that looks like but there was something about like we had at my wedding, we lay, it was the 5th of July. So we had sparklers and like a little strip and a lighter in each seat. And it was like, okay, when the, when the marriage is official, light them up. And like, I didn't really expect anyone to do it or like that people would sort of be like, oh, okay. Like, and quickly, and then it would be kind of disorganized. Like sparklers are fun and it was a cute idea, but it was like, by this time I will be married and I don't care what happens after that. I literally don't. The hard part is over. So I kissed Dan. My aunt and uncle declared us husband and wife. I turned around and apparently everyone had been super serious about like having the sparklers ready. Oh, Sarah, sure there were the drills. Lighters worked. And I turned around and it was like those pictures you see sometimes from like behind a baseball player who's hitting a historic home run and all the flashbulbs going off like everyone did it except my mother-in-law but fuck her not really she's fine but it was like wow like that it was just the most wonderful thing like i turned around i was married and there was just like field of lights and everyone was so happy and i was like great let's eat <laughs> well you know it's and really wonderful there really were drills that we were having about all that so yes <laughs> there was some military precision I... brought but I heard know. that Dan Rogie was like on the upper deck, like, all right, does everyone have a working lighter? Yes, he it was. It was not a joke that day. Um, and, but just talking about luck, I mean, I know this is we're just telling lots of personal stories. Listeners, I hope that these are interesting to you, but I think that they are because they're all related back to this theme of luck and humility in the face of great love. And um, 
I don't know if you remember, Sarah, the story that my, so I, funnily enough, I was also had my wedding officiated by an aunt, uh, specifically my husband's aunt, Bonnie, who is also a reverend. So how funny is that, that we both share that? But uh, <laughs> Love it. Bonnie related the story of Andrew and I, uh, and in terms of just dumb luck, Andrew and I both worked on the same production of a play that was being done at Yale Repertory Theater in 2002 when I was a first-year student. It was a combo of Medea Macbeth and Cinderella all as one show. Oh, jeez. There may be like that three sounds... people listening to this who actually saw that because it got produced a lot, and you're like, yeah, that's as crazy as I'm remembering. That but sounds like a really beautiful disaster. If it, if it ever goes up around here, let me know. We should totally go. It, Anyhow. It's exactly the right words for it. But uh, I never met Andrew while we were working on that show. I was an usher. I was in the front of the house. He was the conductor of the Cinderella portion. He was under the stage. We used separate entrances and exits to get into the building. We never met, but we worked the whole show together. And then three years later, a friend that I made who was a fellow usher at that show and who had gotten Andrew the conducting job set Andrew and I up on a blind date. So we almost met three years before we met, but I have always felt like that was some sort to me, I, it's just easy to lay onto that, a sort of miracle quality of that was like the, the preparation of the ground for the soil, you know, so for the, for the seeds to be planted later. And that, it put um, the energy, it put the energy in the universe. Exactly. Knowing it. And it makes me think, too, about um, just uh, to go back to the song. I feel like, again, it's the super specificity of the lyrics. And we talk about that all the time that makes this song work so much. But it's also the it is the fact that, for instance, this is what happens in the third verse. Next door, there's an old man who lived to his 90s and one day passed away in his sleep. And his wife, she stayed for a couple of days and passed away. I'm sorry, I know that's a strange way to tell you that I know we belong. That I know that I am, I am, I am the luckiest. And what I love about that writing, and it's so true of the whole song, is that he he has to get at these, these massive feelings in a slantwise direction. He tells a story and then trusts us to understand what he's trying to get at. I mean, when he says, I know that's a strange way to tell you I belong, what he's actually doing is saying, now, listener, go back and hear that story again and think for yourself about why telling a story about two people dying within two days of each other is a way to tell some, someone that you belong with them. You know, he's giving us the opportunity to make the intellectual and emotional leap to invest the specific story with a larger emotion. And he gives us just enough of a signpost to tell us where he'd like us to go, but he doesn't try to put words to the unnameable. And again, I feel like that's part of the humility of the song. He acknowledges through the songwriting that you cannot actually articulate what these massive things are, but you can slantwise, like Plato's cave, you can create a shadow of the thing and then trust us to make the leap to the real thing above. And I just or think Wordsworth, that, which we've referred yeah. to before, that idea that like that music was the original um, language of communication because it was able to funnel is not the right word, but let's go with it because listeners don't have all day, right? 
uh, funnel these huge, abstract, uh, often very thorny emotions uh, very simply with melody and song and harmony. Um, but also, like, it's very clever what he does. That He's like, he gives this kind of, uh, you know, melodramatic example and then pulls it back and is like, I know that's a pretty melodramatic example. Right. But the thing is, I feel like if you died, I would die two days later. Right. And it's like, right, it's all right there. Did you ever see that movie, The Opposite of Sex? Yes. Ages uh, ago, but yes. Yeah. There's that one scene where, oh, God, help me with this actor's name, Martin something. Was oh, I just remember Hartley Christina movies? Ricci, Lyle Lovett, Lisa Kudrow. Sure. Maybe it's Lyle Lovett. No, it is Lyle Lovett, actually. Lyle Lovett is not great in this, but he has this moment where, like, he and Lisa Kudrow are having this kind of, like, weird sort of, like, series of one-night stands, and she's being her, like, prickly self and not having it. And finally, after she's been a bitch to him once too many times, he's like, look, here's how I feel about you. Every room I walk into, I'm looking for you in it. And you don't do that. Like, you come in a room and you're scanning for someone else. Mm. I come in a room, I'm always looking for you. And if you're not going to come into rooms looking for me, I don't want to be in a room with you at all. And he kind of pieces out. I mean, he puts it a little differently. I'll try to find the I'll try to find the exact quote and we can put a link to it in the show notes, but I I, that has always stuck with me for that movie came out more than 20 years ago. Jesus. Remember when Ivan Sergei was going to be a thing? <laughs> Cause yeah, no, that, that never quite went. And his boyfriend in that movie was Johnny Galecki and that guy's still <gasps> working. And Whoa, uh, it was Johnny Galecki. Yep. Sergei now on is, Big Bang Theory. Yes. For now and forever. Uh, but that, I don't know, just the, the wide sea of eyes and not just that there's the one pair that you recognize and that you're supposed to recognize, but that in that wide sea of eyes, the one pair is also looking for you. Oh, yes. You know? So uh, that's some good shit, Ben Folds, is what I think we're both trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. There's this song, like, it gets me every time. Especially the wide sea of eyes line. Like sometimes I can get most of the way through it without crying, but the one pair that I recognize means that m my pair is is uh, weeping. So to me, it's something yeah. about the image of myself standing on a porch as an old man, watching Andrew as a child going by on a bike, and knowing. <laughs> like I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm. I mean, yes, but I. It, in my head just went to adult Andrew going by on like a banana seed. On a kitty bike. Like, yeah, seriously. Yes. But like, there's something about, there's just, I, I would have to unpack that with like for another hour, but there's something about that that just gets me every time. And then also again, telling that story at the end and being like, Hey, I thought about this couple that couldn't live without each other. That was sad. By the way, I love you forever. And I do want to say, Sarah, uh, Thank you for bringing up the Jason Isbell song. And listeners, if you don't know this Jason Isbell song, If We Were Vampires, and why would you? His album just came out like two weeks ago. But 
listen to Ben Folds and listen to the uh, Jason Isbell, and we'll put the link to the Jason Isbell in the show notes too, because I feel like these two it songs together. It may even together, be our outro. Who's to say? Who's to I might say? Feel like, I might feel like my tear ducts need a real good cleaning when I'm editing this, and it'll be accompanied by um, the sounds of me, you know, sniffling and trundling downstairs to find Dan and tell him I love him. And exactly. Good so, stuff. Uh, we are schmoopy listeners. That's your takeaway. Yeah, and uh, listen, I, Sarah, there's quite frankly no one else in the world that I would have enjoyed this conversation more with than with you no same here you're my pair of eyes on this <laughs> yay Aww. it's not the long flowing dress that you're in or the light coming off of your skin the fragile heart you protected for so long or the mercy in your sense of right Hey, Sarah, I think it's time for a bumper. What do you think? Uh, I think it's been time, Mark. So what do listeners need to know? What info do we have to get in here? They need to know that Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by me, Mark Blankenship, and you, Sarah D. Bunting, and also edited by you, Sarah D. Bunting. That is true. Uh, Today's theme song was by your fine-feathered husband, Andrew Byrne. And what else do they need to know? They need to know how to reach us. That's important. So you guys, if you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Let us know song requests, uh, if you'd like to buy an ad, if you want to have me do your birthday pop chart reading, any of that. We truly do love to hear from you. And you can reach us on email at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, on Twitter at TalkSongs, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. But Sarah, I think there's something else they need to know. Uh, There is, and that is that for a small monthly donation, you, listener, could become a patron and producer of Mastess Your Own Self, uh, donating at our Patreon page, which is at patreon.com slash Mastass. Really helps us out, keeps the lights on here at Editing HQ, and gives you access to members-only audio content, polls. You might get to, like, pick our episode that we do and for a very large one-time donation you can get us to come to your house anywhere in the continental u.s and we will record an episode in your lap we really will so to get all the info on that they you just need to go to p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash mastus that's patreon.com slash mastus and now i think the last thing that you guys need to know which maybe you already figured out but we're telling you anyway is that i'm mark and I'm Sarah. And this, and this is Mark and Mark, Sarah. Sarah, talk, talk about, about songs. songs. Closer. That's best ever, I think. Yeah. <laughs> just can't go on forever. Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone. Maybe we'll get 40 years together. One day I'll be gone. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.